After she heard my homily at the 10.30 Mass last Sunday, my homily on how to be a real godly man like John the Baptist as opposed to being a manly man of the type that I saw on November 25th at the Patriots-Eagles game. If you weren't here, sorry, but that's what it was about. Anyway, after she heard this homily, my little friend Elizabeth Hopkins, who is all of seven years old, came up to me in the vestibule. She gave me a kiss, as she does each and every week. I, I look forward to that. And then she proceeded to ask me when I was going to give a homily like that for the girls. My first thought was, wow, this little girl pays more attention to me than some adults do. And I said to her, you know what, Elizabeth, believe it or not, I had that same thought just before Mass ended. And it's true, I did have that exact thought cross my mind. So I took her words as a confirmation that that's what God wanted me to do on this particular weekend. You know, Psalm 8 says that God sometimes speaks to us out of the mouths of babes. And I think that was the case for me last Sunday. He spoke to me through little Elizabeth, who is here this evening at Mass. Elizabeth, you can tell me if I do a good job when Mass is over. Today's homily, then, will be addressed primarily to the women in the congregation. Which does not mean, of course, that the men can go to sleep for the next 10 minutes. Remember last week, the women listened, and I could tell very attentively as I spoke to the men. Apparently, even seven-year-old women were listening. So you guys can do the same. And isn't it interesting, it was John the Baptist who provided us with a message for the men a week ago, and it's the very same John the Baptist who appears in our Gospel text this Sunday. And this same John, I'm convinced, has an equally important message for the women. In fact, I would say he has two messages. Regarding the first message, you know, Jesus in this text hearkens back to something that St. Matthew told us about John the Baptist last week, making reference to John's camel hair outfits, which, as I said last Sunday, would make him a very good candidate for that show, What Not to Wear, Making reference to John's attire, Jesus said to the crowds, What did you go out to the desert to see? Someone dressed in fine clothing? Jesus probably added, Ha! Huh. Then he said, Those who wear fine clothing are in royal palaces. The implication was that if they were expecting to find Dapper Dan in the desert, when they went to see John the Baptist, they were in for a big surprise. Maybe he was a little dingy from time to time, but John the Baptist was never, ever dapper. To his credit. John the Baptist, therefore, reminds us all that what's most important is what's on the inside, not what's on the outside. John was called by Jesus in this text, the greatest man ever born of woman. That's a pretty good endorsement. But obviously his greatness had nothing to do with his physical appearance. It definitely had nothing to do with the clothes he wore. 
His greatness came from within. His greatness was rooted in his virtue, in his character, in his holiness. Certainly both men and women can profit by that insight. But for you women, in today's day and age, I think that's such an important message to hear. Fact of the matter is, and we all know this, you are pressured every day by this culture we're living in right now to look a certain way and even to act a certain way. Men are pressured too. It's far worse for you. And because there's no way that you can possibly, quote unquote, compete with the celebrities and the fashion models that you see in movies and magazines, who incidentally are usually nipped and tucked and uh, airbrushed to perfection so that they look wonderful, even though to a great extent, they're like the rest of us. But that's the image that's out there. And that makes women today vulnerable. Vulnerable to depression. Vulnerable to all kinds of eating disorders. Anorexia, bulimia, they are so common. They're among men too, but especially among women. And even vulnerable to despair at times. You suffer because of this. But you know what, ladies? So do the men in your lives. And you need to be aware of that. Believe it or not, when you become obsessed with your physical appearance to the neglect of your character and your spiritual life, the men around you suffer. Because the men around you become worse. Maybe you're not aware of this, but women have great power over men. <laughs> Who said they're the weaker sex? Not true. Women have incredible power. They have the power to bring out the very best in men. They can also bring out the worst in men. Virtuous women who are like John the Baptist, that is to say, virtuous women whose lives are centered on God and not the things of this world, raise up the men around them, morally and spiritually, and they bring out the best in them. On the other hand, women whose lives are centered on their physical appearance and on material possessions, a la desperate housewives, pull men the other way. Spiritually and morally, they bring out the worst in us. Now, you may say, gee, I don't like that, Father Ray. But you know what? That's the way it is. That's reality. On a personal note, I will tell you, it was not a coincidence that my father went from a man who wouldn't go in a church when he married my mother. He went from that to a man who went not just to Sunday Mass, but to daily Mass for the last six months of his life. That wasn't a coincidence because, you see, my father lived with a virtuous woman. <laughs> he lived with a godly woman who brought out the very best in him. And I thank God for that in my mother. One other important lesson for women, I think, needs to be shared today, courtesy of John. 
And the best way to introduce the lesson is with this question. Ladies, have you ever wondered if all of your good efforts have been wasted? Especially with members of your own families. I think many of you have. In fact, I know it because I've counseled enough women in my ministry. I've dialogued with enough of them. Especially those of you who are mothers of what might be called wayward children, difficult kids. You've done your best to be a good example of faith to them. And when you failed, you've sought forgiveness from them and from God. And that's great. You've tried to teach them right from wrong and the importance of putting God first in their lives. But now they don't go to Mass anymore. They live by their own rules. Some of them might even say they don't even believe in God. If you find yourself in this situation with respect to your children, or anyone else for that matter in your life, I would ask you ladies to think of John the Baptist. When he was sitting there all by himself in Herod's prison, and then do what he did. Remember, John the Baptist had spent his entire life, you talk about effort, his entire life focused on one thing, one thing alone, preparing the way for his cousin Jesus, whom he believed to be the Messiah. But obviously, Jesus had not conducted himself in the way, in exactly the way, that John had expected him to. Maybe John expected Jesus to be less the compassionate preacher and more the fiery judge. Maybe that was the problem. Maybe he expected Jesus, his cousin, to be more of a civil leader, like King David of old. We're not sure what the problem was. But it's clear from this gospel we heard today, there was a problem in John's mind. So there he was in that loneliness, sitting there, thinking to himself, have all my good efforts been wasted? I was convinced that my cousin was the Messiah, and I did everything I possibly could to point other people toward him. I said, look, there is the Lamb of God who will take away the sins of the world. I thought I was doing the right thing. But he's not exactly what I expected him to be. And now I'm stuck here in this prison. Did I make a mistake? Is the Messiah actually somebody else? Somebody who's going to come after me? Someone who's going to come after my cousin Jesus? That's where John was at. Where you have been at. He wondered. And he questioned. But then to his great credit, he did something. Through his disciples, he went to Jesus and said to him, Are you the one who is to come? Are you the Messiah? Or should we look for another? Jesus responded, in effect, by saying, John, think about it, my friend, my cousin. I'm doing all of those things that Isaiah said the Messiah would do when he finally came. I'm doing it all. 
Many of those things, incidentally, are mentioned in today's first reading, which is why the church gave us that reading from Isaiah at this Mass. So John had his answer. His good efforts, praise God, had not been wasted. But you know what? That's only part of the story. John still had to trust. And he still had to persevere where he was at. He had to trust that all of his work of the past was actually bearing good fruit and helping people to be open to Jesus. And he had to persevere in his own faithfulness to God in prison, in the midst of that suffering. And he had to do that certainly for his own sake, but also for the sake of the people that he had preached to, the people he had baptized. Can you imagine if news had gotten around that John the Baptist had lost his faith in prison? That would have devastated those people. They would have stopped following Jesus. Look to Jesus, trust, and persevere. Ladies, when your children stray, and when your other good efforts in this life seem to fail, Remember to do those three things. Look to Jesus. In other words, pray. As Monsignor Strzok would say, pray, pray, pray. Then trust. Trust that God's grace is going to continue to touch the lives of the people you pray for, your loved ones, those you care about. And then persevere in your own good works and in your own personal walk with the Lord. I'm convinced that's what John the Baptist would tell you to do. Because that's what he did. And incidentally, he would probably give the same word of advice to the men who hopefully stayed awake through this homily to hear it. Ladies, you have my permission to quiz them about it on the way home from Mass today.